This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Damon Dunphy. Now we learned... On the news this morning, most of the newspapers leading with it, not significantly the Irish Times, that Joe Biden is planning to come to Ireland in April for six days. And indeed, he may be accompanied by the Clintons as well to celebrate or to mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. In Biden's case, of course, he has relatives in Mayo and indeed in Louth. So he will get some time in Ireland, and that is a big news story here. But we're joined from Washington now by Niall Stanich, associate editor of The Hill, a very good Washington newspaper, which is non-partisan compared to most American media. And Niall is the White House columnist also for The Hill. Niall, the news of a Biden visit or any American president's visit is always really well received here. He intends to spend six days and celebrate, hopefully, the Good Friday Agreement without any of the bad vibes because this week, as you probably know, the European Union and Britain came to an agreement on the terms on which they will or have parted. There's no real reason, is there, why Biden would do this as a vote-winning operation, I'm sure he's fairly secure in Irish America anyway. Yeah, and I mean, I would also very seriously question the degree to which there's an identifiable Irish-American vote at this point. I mean, most right. Irish-Americans are integrated into American society. You could make an argument that there is a white Catholic vote in this country. I mean, that you know, they vote slightly differently to the population at large. But the idea that people are going to vote based upon the Good Friday Agreement or events in the North, I think, is a, a sort of relic of a past era. Nonetheless, I mean, clearly, firstly, Biden is legitimately very proud of those Irish roots. Secondly, he is of the generation of politicians who uh, worked, you know, on the peace process, which is not true of the younger, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez set yes. who were small children when this was going on. So it's a, it's an important, uh, it's an important trip, I, I suppose, to mark the anniversary. Now, more serious matters on his mind will be news that assessed the strength of Americans' support 
for the Biden administration's support for Ukraine, the, the amounts of money and arms that have been spent. It's very interesting. I mean, overall, public support for Ukraine has fallen from 60% last May to 48% now. That's not a staggering drop, but it is heading in the wrong direction. And I think the questions being asked in Washington, particularly with the Republican House of Representatives, is how deep are our pockets? How much money and arms can we afford to send? And crucially, for how long? That's right. Yes, exactly. I mean, the Republican resistance or reluctance to get involved in continuing aid to Ukraine, or at least in continuing it at the same pace and cadence, is really based on this idea that is it an open-ended commitment? Now, Biden has said that it is, essentially. He has said repeatedly that the United States will stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes. The price tag for that commitment is already very, very substantial. The United States, if you include humanitarian aid, has given more than $100 billion to Ukraine as it is. Uh, The war, as you well know, Eamon, is not in any imminent, there's no imminent chance of it ending um, one way or another. So it's going to go on for some time, it appears. And you have Republicans, particularly of the more Trumpian America First position, who don't want to see aid continue at least at the level uh, that we've seen so far. Yes, and there is good news for Biden in some of the polls with more people, 48%, in fact, approving of his response to the invasion. And that's in a Fox News poll compared to 40% last August. So the way he's managing it and the way he has galvanized NATO, revitalized it, maybe saved it, saved it even, has been appreciated by the American public. His stance and his idea of NATO and where America should position itself in the world is really old-fashioned, it's reassuring for us, but it's certainly not Donald Trump's view or Ron DeSantis either, I imagine. They wouldn't see or want to see America as the world's policeman. Certainly not in Trump's case, at least. I mean, Trump has been very critical of multilateralism generally, of international institutions and all of that. To circle back to your point, Eamon, about Biden's fairly positive poll numbers on this, Yes, There's indeed no question that Ukraine is one of his better issues. I personally think, yes, that is partly admiration for how he has done for pursuing a tough line, for holding a coalition together. I also think it's a consequence of the fact that the Republican Party itself has divisions on this issue. So as well as the Trump people or the Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world who are very critical of aid to Ukraine, you do have the more traditional, or you use the word old-fashioned, Republicans like Mitch McConnell, for example, yes. who see Russia as an adversary that needs to be beaten back and who have only really criticized Biden, if anything, for not doing quite as much as they would like rather than for doing too much, which is the, the MAGA Trump criticism. Yes, and, and my understanding is that anticipating the Republicans taking the House and possibly the Senate before the midterm elections, that Biden got enough money Mm. out of the system in anticipation 
that it would be in shorter supply. So he has his own little war chest, mm. which he is using as wisely as he can or attempting to. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there was a definite move to secure as much aid to Ukraine as possible before the House of Representatives changed hands for exactly the reason that you mentioned, that there was, I think, recognition that once Republicans took the House majority, this would become more difficult. Now, it's not to say that aid to Ukraine is immediately choked off, um, you know, partly for the reasons we mentioned about differing opinions within the Republican Party, but there clearly is not this... uh, unequivocal or almost unconditional support for Ukraine that there was in the very early days of the war. Yes, and our friend Kevin McCarthy, who's now the Speaker of the House of Representatives, third in line for the presidency, has said in recent weeks that there is no blank check for Ukraine in our Republican House of Representatives. And he is under pressure from a very vocal part of the Republican caucus about America's involvement. And of course, he's only one vote away from Mm. having to stand for election again. Mm. It's an extraordinary and I imagine unprecedented situation where the speaker can be brought down Mm. by one dissenting voice. That was part of the compromise he made, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he obviously had great difficulty getting elected speaker because Republicans have such a narrow House majority. The narrowness of that majority empowers some of the people we're talking about, the very hard right of the congressional GOP. That in turn really, in a very serious way, limits McCarthy's room for maneuver. You know, he can't offend those people because one of them can come up and say, well, we want a a re-vote on whether to basically depose Kevin McCarthy as Speaker or not. And then he's back into a world of pain, which you will remember from earlier this year when he had to go through many, many, many votes. I think it was the 15th or 16th round. 15th, yes. Yeah, that he eventually got the votes to become Speaker. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, one of the people making noises about this is Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia. She's a former QAnon conspiracy theory adherent. She's a key ally of McCarthy's now because she helped get him elected. And she has said this week, in fact, that she's against the war in Ukraine. And you know who's driving it. She, she, she continued, it's America. America needs to stop pushing the war in Ukraine. Mm. So that's what Biden has to deal with. Or, and increasingly, as you say, those people are powerful given the slender margins in the House. Exactly, yes. Biden has to deal with them and McCarthy has to deal with them as well, even though he did sort of buy Marjorie Taylor Greene off in return for her support as Speaker by virtue of committee assignments. I mean, not not financially. But um, the, the position that Marjorie Taylor Greene outlines there is this idea that, uh, which is a weird sort of point of commonality between the extreme right and the extreme left in this country, which is the idea that the United States is actually sort of um, uh, basically exacerbating the situation in Ukraine and Russia for its own purposes, yes. to expand its own power, etc. cetera. Uh, a point of view that I personally don't find very credible, but that has its adherents here, um, including on that uh, Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene wing of the GOP. Now, the interesting thing about Governor Ron DeSantis, that's the governor of Florida, who won that state, which is often a swing state, by 20% recently, and is thought to be... Trump's most formidable opponent for the Republican nomination for 2024. He has also talked about open-ended blank checks. And on Ukraine, he said, I don't think it's in our interest to be involved in a fight for territory seized by Russia. So mm. in the time frame Biden has left, which is two years, if all goes well, it must be in Russian minds and indeed Chinese minds or mm -hmm. that the longer they can draw this out, the worse it will get for Ukraine in terms of U.S. support. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is a really important point. And it's honestly not highlighted enough in media coverage here, I think. Uh, they, I mean, Putin's strategy in part, at least after he failed to win a very quick victory in Ukraine, is, is this idea that the West will eventually crumble, that disunity will come in, that the coalition against him will splinter. That hasn't happened yet, but to be quite frank, it has not happened largely because Biden himself has held that coalition together. Were you to have a future President Trump, a future President DeSantis, I think that would change quite rapidly. And it was interesting, Eamon, in the quote you read out from DeSantis about American interests. Yes. I mean, that is absolutely uh, taking a page from Trump's book, really, yes. which is, you know, a, a sort of um, very uh, almost mercenary attitude of 
does this does X, Y, or Z pay off for America instantly? And if it's going to cost us a lot of money, who really cares? And of course, that's quite understandably not the way it's seen in Eastern Europe, in the Baltic states, or indeed yes. in most of Western Europe. Now, Niall, formally so far, the Republican race to be the candidate in 2024 concerns the former Vice President Mike Pence, former Governor of South Carolina Nikki Haley, and former Ambassador to the UN, of course, Donald Trump. But as, as of yet, DeSantis has not declared. However, he did have an event this week, and apparently, whilst not having formally declared, he's beginning to hire people who know their way around national elections. He is, absolutely. I mean, it would at this point be very surprising if Ron DeSantis didn't run. No, you're right that he hasn't formally declared, nor incidentally has, has uh, former Vice President Pence, although Nikki Haley certainly has. But in DeSantis's case, he's making all the moves that indicate he's running. In fact, next Friday, he is in Iowa, the first caucus state, uh, speaking there at two events, purportedly publicizing his new book, but everyone isn't falling for that. I mean, it is clearly a campaign trip in advance of uh, some sort of presidential, excuse me, some sort of presidential launch. So it would be rather amazing to, I think, just about everyone, including Trump, if DeSantis didn't run the stage. Now, I think I may have asked you this before in terms of DeSantis. What do we know about his worldview? What do we know about his way of operating as opposed to the Trump sort of populist madness? Mm. Is he a serious guy? And does he have, if you like, the gravitas mm. to be president of the United States? Well, he's a serious guy in terms of his political cunning, I would say, or astuteness, I suppose, supporters of his would say. Yes. He has plugged himself in very snugly to the kind of culture war issues that are very important in today's Republican Party. For example, on COVID, he adopted a very hostile approach to lockdowns, an increasingly skeptical one to vaccinations, though he is himself vaccinated. And he even kind of masks, saw, I think. Yeah, I mean, he, he clearly saw what way the wind was blowing in conservative circles about that and sort of shifted his position to stay more in alignment with those views. He has also had a, a number of controversial issues on things like um, sexuality and the teaching of sexuality and gender identity in schools. A very recent separate example was him pushing back against a particular history course in African-American history. Um, he is a, a fervent opponent of what he terms wokeness. Yes. Now, the, the complexities of that debate would take us a long time to get through, but it is clearly a popular position with the Republican base to be anti-woke and to be uh, sort of very demonstrative in your hostility to it, which DeSantis definitely is. Ju just briefly, Eamon, to, to round that point out, you mentioned about uh, style differences with Trump. DeSantis even his um, advocates would acknowledge, is quite a personally awkward guy. I mean, he's not good at 
small talk or the backslapping of politics. He's a sort of strange character. But whether that matters overly much in presidential politics is debatable because, of course, presidential contests are fought on this very big uh, canvas across the nation of TV ads and all of that. If he ever meets Joe Biden, he'll lose the the backslapping (laughs) contest anyway if they ever encounter each other. Now, there is an extraordinary court case about to happen and depositions are being taken. It involves Fox News. It involves Rupert Murdoch and his family and the reporting of this idea that the election was rigged and Trump was the real winner. The people who are prosecuting this case are the Dominion Voting Machines Corporation, and they're looking for a lot of money because they contend that Fox News in particular cited their machines as the reason and the method by which Trump was cheated of the presidency. And Rupert Murdoch has been giving evidence, and it's startling evidence in some ways. He said, for example, that when they stopped supporting Trump's argument that he'd been robbed, the viewers all left. (laughs) And to quote him precisely, he said, we're being creamed by CNN. So he, he said that Tucker Carlson and these guys kept pushing the conspiracy theory that Trump had been robbed in order to keep viewers and stop them fleeing. Yeah, it is an extraordinary lawsuit with Dominion seeking $1.6 billion, with a B, dollars damages. Yes. For, for statements that, to be fair, were they to be made by an Irish or British broadcaster, Dominion could write their own check because they're so clearly defamatory. It is more difficult to win defamation cases here in the United States because the plaintiff has to prove a concept known as actual malice. But the bigger point here, Eamon, is the one that you raise, I think, about Fox. As part of this lawsuit, there's been a disclosure of all sorts of texts and emails. And the common thread, the most important thread that really emerges from them is this idea among senior people at Fox that the facts or the truth of what you're claiming really doesn't matter, especially if it is at odds with the predisposition of your audience. And the Fox audience clearly in those days, immediately after the 2020 election, was inflamed by Trump's own comments, wanted to hear about how the election was rigged or how Biden's victory wasn't legitimate or all of those things. And so the fear from people like Murdoch and others appears to have been that if you puncture the balloon of delusion, around the audience, you lose viewers. And if you lose viewers, you lose money. And we don't want to lose money. Therefore, let's give people what they want. That's really the central thing. Yes. And Rupert Murdoch, who is 92 next week, he was, as he says himself, and has said himself in this controversy, he is by heart and nature a journalist. Hmm. He admitted that pushing the election was rigged, Trump really won line was a commercial decision Mm. to stop viewers leaving Fox Mm. for other channels. It it is an extraordinary picture that emerges of Fox and what they think constitutes journalism. And this this man who proclaims himself to be a journalist at heart, doing what he can to keep his audience and make money. 
Right, right. And the commercial picture is one where, at, particularly at that time, Fox was being challenged uh, to some extent by TV networks that were even a few more notches to the right, uh, One America and Newsmax. But the issue of, of how you, they, they, Fox saw journalism or sees journalism is really, really important. I think one of the highlights, or highlights is the wrong word, one of the most striking points of all of these communications that have been revealed is the uh, apparent belief that the truth was kind of beside the point, that it didn't really amount to anything one way or another what the truth was. The question was, how do we keep viewers? And a number of people framed that in a rather completely disingenuous way about respecting our audience. But what they really meant, I would argue, was disrespecting the audience or disrespecting the audience's intelligence by simply pumping out stuff that they wanted to believe but was not actually true. Yeah, and interestingly, on election night, this sort of story illustrates that there were real journalists in Fox News on the 3rd of November, which was a, a counting night, Fox had accurately predicted that Biden won the vote in Arizona. That particular call was at a critical point in the evening. Trump went mad and his supporters and the audience went mad. And Murdoch had to be, I think they had to call him to see if that was, if it was okay to go with that. And he said, yes, mm-hmm. if that's the result, call it. But they were the first American media outlet to call Arizona in Biden's favor. Mm-hmm. So there's an extraordinary mix there, isn't there, of people who are journalists and want to do the work and others like Tucker Carlson mm-hmm. who just want to make a lot of money and stay on the right side of Trump. Yeah, there is. And that's a really important point. Uh, there are elements of Fox, particularly its data-based elements, that are completely legitimate. If Fox polling is famously good, actually. It's famously yes. accurate and it isn't uh, corrupted by some of the factors that we've been talking about. The analysis of the election was bang on. Fox predicted that Biden would carry Arizona very narrowly, and they were right, and they were first. Uh, but it didn't pay off for the people involved in that decision internally, several of whom were, in fact, uh, pushed out of the network in the time immediately after that. And there was also, I think, if you look at those communications that we've been talking about, Uh, this weird and increasing anxiety about defending that call, even though it was right, because defending the call of Arizona for Biden seemed to be aggravating the Fox audience to such an extent. Yeah, and it's been said by Tucker Carlson, who's a a strange cove, Mm. a rich one, though. He gets a lot of money from Fox. Mm. He has denied in the past that he is a journalist. He's now claiming that he is a journalist. But within days of the election it became clear to Fox hosts that their audience wanted to hear the stolen election narrative. And Tucker Carlson's producer in November texted him, it's all our viewers care about right now. And of course, this was the the lead up to January the 6th, the insurrection and all of that. So it does show something quite alarming that, Mm -hmm. you know, populists or charlatans like Carlson can do immense damage in the United States of America. Right. And I think it's also important to say, Eamon, that in among all those emails and texts, 
there were some people who were arguing that Fox did have a responsibility, A, to report the truth, but B, to to puncture those delusions that I was talking about earlier, because those more sober-minded voices could see the danger of uh, inflating this false narrative, uh, a false narrative that reached its uh, nadir, really, on January the 6th. There were some people making that argument, but they didn't win the argument within Fox, clearly. No, it gives you a fascinating insight into Murdoch in particular, but also into the way Fox is influential and indeed perverse in many ways. Just a final question about Joe Biden and the prospect of him declaring his candidacy for 2024. Are we any wiser on that? And how are his poll numbers at the moment? Well, he was asked uh, on Thursday uh, whether he was when he would declare, and he replied, "When I declare," or words to that effect. Yes. So a rather nomic response, but it's coming soon. I would imagine. I would be very surprised if he didn't declare within the next month or two. The longer he leaves it, the more space he leaves for sort of whispering about whether he is or isn't going to run again. So I would expect it within the next couple of months. His poll ratings are still fairly anemic. Now they have ticked up very slightly. Uh, in the last month or two, but typically his approval ratings is are, are somewhere in the low 40s, which obviously is not great for a president who we think is going to be seeking re-election. Other presidents have rebounded. I mean, Barack Obama was very unpopular at one point in his first term. Ronald Reagan was very unpopular at one point in his first term. But you wouldn't be feeling a lot of confidence if you were a Democrat looking at Biden's poll ratings right and now. And a, fi- a final, final question, Niall. Mm-hmm. Do you see DeSantis and, and the Donald duking it out and battering each other in the end to gain the, the Republican nomination? Yes, those are clearly the two major candidates, and that will very obviously be a very fierce and, I would say, very personal battle. I'd just add, Eamon, that the larger the Republican field becomes, the better that is for the Donald, because the more people will then divide the Trump skeptical vote. Yes, and there were 16 runners, Mm. I can tell you Mm. now, I'm sure I don't need to tell you, Mm. when he started out in 2016. So thanks for that, Niall. It's something to look forward to <laughs> in, in these cold winter days. Uh, now, I'm very grateful to you for joining us. Niall Stanich is Associate Editor of The Hill newspaper. We're grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.